Did you know that I can list 10 simple things that you do every day that pollute the environment? Things that you have perhaps done a thousand times and never even given it a thought. And maybe it was just the same for me until I produced over 40 episodes about sustainability. And having done so, of course, I've certainly learned a lot of things which have changed my views. For example, just the other day I was holding a can of soup that I had purchased from the supermarket and I was thinking about all the energy and resources that went into that simple can of soup. And then I asked myself a question. Is there anything I can do that doesn't affect the environment in some way? To find out that answer, then listen to this episode which is called Your Carbon Footprint Explained. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode number 47, which is called Your Carbon Footprint Explained. Freelance writer James Truslow Adams popularized the phrase American Dream in his 1931 book, Epic of America. And so the American Dream is the belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born, or what class they were born into, can attain their own version of success in a society in which upward mobility is possible for everyone. And so America is so often viewed as the land of opportunity, at least in the minds and hearts of those that are outside the country. For example, the young Afghan dentist Fadad Mohammed who fell to his death after clinging to the outside of a U.S. military plane in Kabul. Another example, that almost 2 million Vietnamese who literally risked their lives to flee oppression after the U.S. left Vietnam in 1975. Or even the thousands of Central Americans who marched toward the U.S. border fleeing the crime and oppression in their own country. It's almost as if They all come to look for America, as Simon and Garfunkel sang in 1968. Several years ago, I used to joke with some friends of mine that what this country needed was a good pandemic to make us once again fully realize what was truly important in life. And now here we are still in the wake of a global pandemic, and it seems as if people have become even more indignant, impatient, entitled, and sometimes completely out of control. At first I thought it was just me being cynical about American society, so I asked people in other professions and co-workers and family members about their experiences working with the public, and their thoughts and comments were the same as mine, so here is my conclusion. 
When you grow up in the land of opportunity, that becomes ingrained in you as an expectation. And when you spend your entire life having anything you want, any time you want, you begin to think that is what life is supposed to be like. And in fact, you start feeling that is what you are entitled to. But when you get deprived of that lifestyle, as with the pandemic, you are deprived of your entitlement and that makes people really angry. And in the end, what I see is that people, are, people were not deprived long enough to make them appreciate what they actually have. So we go right back to our highly wasteful lifestyles, never missing an opportunity to order something online And we also never seem to pay attention to how our lifestyles affect the planet. And in our land of opportunity, we have seen a 46% increase in our population since 1980. And similarly, the population of the world has increased by 43% since that time. And as our population continues to grow so does our demand for resources. And believe it or not, humanity's consumption of resources is at a rate of 157% of what is actually available. So that means we need an earth and a half in order to maintain our present rate of consumption. Well, as you probably know, we can't really build another earth, but maybe we can actually manage to colonize Mars. But to bring that down to a more personal level, the products that we choose, what we eat, how much we travel, how much electricity we use, as well as many other factors determines how much we consume. And how much we consume is a measure of our ecological footprint. But while this may seem a simple concept, it truly is much more complicated than you think. As with my example of the can of soup, what I consume is not limited to that can of soup. I am also consuming, so to speak, all the resources that went into producing that can as well as the labeling Not to mention all the resources that went into the vegetables and meat that are in the soup, as well as the energy and resources used to manufacture and transport that soup to the supermarket. And you have likely heard me speak of this before, and this is sort of the concept of embodied energy. So what that means is that when you utilize a product or you consume a product, Your total ecological footprint is not only the product itself, but also the resources and energy that went into producing that product. So for example, our everyday consumer goods and services produce greenhouse gases before, during, and after their useful lifestyle. And consequently, the ecological footprint of any product starts with obtaining the raw materials. Then it continues through processing, production, distribution, and throughout that product's useful lifespan, and then finally, 
into that product's transformation into waste that is either reused, recycled, or it goes to the landfill. So you can sort of think of your ecological footprint as being the big picture of your total impact on the environment. And your individual ecological footprint simply compares the total resources that people consume with the land and water area that is needed to replace those resources. So in other words, it's a comparison of the use of productive biospace. Now, I do think it's worth taking a moment here and noting that the ecological footprint of the average person in the United States is about 50% larger than the average person in most European countries. The U.S. has much more urban development, much less public transportation, and we use much more energy and water compared to that of other developed countries. But it is also useful to look at this from the perspective of GDP, which is the gross domestic product. And the GDP for a particular economy or country, it's really just the measure of the market value of all goods and services produced by that country over a specified period of time. And if we compare the GDP of the U.S. to other countries, what is most notable is that the U.S. ecological footprint is equal to that of seven other countries when combined produce the same GDP. So very simply put, you can use bioproductive space as a measure of our individual ecological footprint and all you do is look at all of the goods and services that you utilize over a year, then look at the amount of land and water use area that would be required to replace those resources. So in other words, at your present rate of consumption of resources, if you lived on your own little homestead and you were required to provide all of your own resources and regenerate all of those resources on a year-to-year -year basis, how much land would you need? So according to the average consumption rate in the US, each of us would need 8.6 hectares, which is the equivalent to 21.2 acres of land in order to produce all of our own resources. Now compared to the average person in Mexico, each person there would only require about seven acres of land. And you know, just as an aside here, I was working in a hospital in a, in a mountain community above Denver the other day with a technician named Christine. And she has a small cabin and her family tries to be as sustainable as possible. And she said to me the other day that she wanted a small piece of land where they could have a nice garden and some chickens and produce as much of their own food as possible. So with that in mind, I decided to look up some statistics on the population distribution in the United States and it turns out that 83% of the people in the United States live in urban areas and the first thought that occurred to me is that that leaves a considerable amount of land out there to plant a garden and be as sustainable as possible. But anyway, back on point here. so. What this does is that it gives you an idea of our rate of consumption or our ecological footprint 
And the other concept that I wanted to mention is that is that of our carbon footprint. So while our ecological footprint and carbon footprint both of course encompass the concepts of resource utilization, the carbon footprint focuses more on the production of greenhouse gases. So in other words, this is an understanding of the impact of a person's behavior on global warming. So why are these concepts important to us? First of all, I think these concepts are important to, to look at and, and analyze because it's so easy for each of us to sit back and ignore what we do not see every day. And furthermore, unless we are presented with a crisis, we go about our daily lives as, as if nothing is wrong because we are much better at crisis management because there is an obvious and pressing need. And additionally, it is easy for us to throw up our hands and say this whole situation is hopeless because what can an individual actually do about global warming and climate change? So fortunately, the answer to that question is yes, there is something that you can do. So if you want to effectively contribute on an individual basis to help stop global warming, the first and most important step is to not only measure but keep track of your personal ecological and carbon footprint. And once you have done that, the next vital step that you must take is to understand how you can reduce your impact on the environment whether that be through changes in your business, your home, or your lifestyle. Now, there are a number of episodes that I've produced that I can point you to. Uh, for example, episode 5, which is 12 Steps to a Zero Waste Lifestyle. Episode 14, The New Self-Sufficiency, Doing Without. Episode 18, Choices Make Changes. Episode 23, Waste Not, Want Not, Pollute Not and episode 38, The Value of Simplicity. But I also want to give you a couple of tools to utilize, and I found several of these online the other day that each of us, that each of you can go to, and there will also be links in the transcript uh, of the episode so that you can easily retrieve these, but I just wanted to take a second and, and mention those here. And one of them is called the footprintcalculator.org. Another one is the footprintnetwork.org and then the Nature Conservancy Calculator. And if you get if you forget what these are and do not download the transcript, you can always search for carbon footprint calculator or ecological footprint calculator and easily find these tools. So I decided to sit down myself and and actually go through these tools and I went through each one of these and calculated my ecological footprint just to see what it would say and I based it on things that I was doing several months ago and all of my personal results came back exactly the same and that is the simple fact that my commuting for my job is in fact my biggest ecological impact but I already knew that 
which is why I got creative a few months ago and have now reduced my commuting by as much as 50%. So basically what these apps are gonna do or what these tools are gonna do for you is they're gonna kinda tour you through your lifestyle and ask you about your eating habits, your energy usage and the size of your home, your driving habits, your use of public transportation or not, your use of renewable energy, how much you travel, as well as some other things. And to be honest, after going through three different footprint calculators, I think it is a good place to start. But I also think these little tools could be just a little more detailed. But in the end, I think it's a good way to get you thinking about things that you could be doing. So back to my original question. Is there anything I can do that does not affect the environment in some way? But before I answer that question, please allow me to point out a few things, little things that we do almost every day that has some effect on the environment. And these are things that you can actually change. Now, I realize that some of these are probably gonna sound a little silly, but you know, if you go back and think about it, that our choices actually make changes. And sustainability is really about learning and really trying to make some better choices. So for a few examples here, just leaving the water running while you're washing your hands, your face, or brushing your teeth. The average American already uses over 100 gallons of fresh water a day, and you can make a difference by changing this one habit, and you could save as much as 1,400 liters of water per month. Drinking bottled water is another example, and if you have any doubt about this wasteful habit, then listen to episode 10 that I produced, which is called A Bottle of Deception. Number three, throwing batteries in the trash. Batteries contain mercury, which is one of the most toxic metals in the world, and it takes 500 to 1,000 years to break down, and just one battery can contaminate up to 3,000 liters of water. And by the way, I only use rechargeable batteries and consequently, I have not purchased disposable batteries in years. Another example is just consuming products that contain palm oil. And although palm oil is not widely used in the US as a cooking oil, it is widely used in breads and pastries, cereal, peanut butter, chocolate and margarine. And palm oil production is enormously destructive to the environment because of where and how it is grown. And production is responsible for deforestation and an enormous amount of habitat loss. Number five, the use of aerosol products. Many aerosol sprays contain highly toxic chemicals including neurotoxins and carcinogens and are extremely hazardous for people and pets. And number six, chewing gum. Did you know that 80 to 90% of chewing gum is not even disposed of properly and it is the second most common form of litter after cigarette butts. 
Chewing gum is made from synthetic polymers which do not degrade and it's harmful to wildlife that mistake it for food and it is responsible for 250,000 tons of trash every single year. Food waste. Certainly I have covered this topic extensively in other episodes as far as the amount of food waste that we produce. And number eight, using paper products. We use paper products almost every day in one form or another and the problem is that paper is made from trees and you can change this by finding alternatives and you know for example since I work in medical facilities as you can imagine I I wash my hands 50 times a day but I now carry a highly absorbent towel in my pocket and use that to dry my hands and number nine flushing your toilet is one of the most wasteful things that you can do. So how many times a day do you flush your toilet? And whenever you do, you're using five to seven gallons of fresh water every time you do that. And this accounts for 30% of water usage throughout the day. And number 10, and this is one of my weak points, is driving your car. This is one of the major pollutants in the U.S. because of our lack of efficient public transportation and the fact that we all insist on owning our own personal vehicle. And I know that my commuting is responsible for my greatest environmental impact, and that is why I got creative a few months ago and reduced my driving by 50%. And by now, you're probably thinking, obviously, there are There are a number of other things that we do every day that affects the environment, but this is just a quick little list to get you thinking about the everyday little things that you do that you could actually change. So in summary, folks, there are many, many people in the world that still look at America as being the land of opportunity. And perhaps it's one of the few places on the planet where anyone, regardless of where they were born and and what class they were born into, that they can attain their own version of success. And certainly I've seen many examples of this. But I would also simply say this. Check your privilege. One of my favorite authors is Simon Anholt, and he wrote a book called how we can repair the world in one generation and he's also the founder of this website that's called goodcountry.org and he made a statement in one of his books check your privilege and what this simply means is that we all need to appreciate what we have how we use it and how we share with others meaning other nations So keep in mind that in our land of opportunity, our ecological footprint is 50% greater than any other person or country in the world. And for example, the ecological footprint of the state of California alone is equal to that of the entire country of France. And that said, just take the time to look at your daily habits. There are many simple things that you can change that will have a tremendous positive impact and will reduce your ecological footprint. 
Every single thing that you do has some sort of impact. Driving your car, charging your cell phone, washing your face, brushing your teeth, cleaning your house, the products you purchase, as well as hundreds of other daily activities that you take for granted. So my original question, is there anything that I can do that does not affect the environment in some way? And the answer is no. Every single thing that we do has some sort of an impact. So start making better choices and learn how to make better choices and learn how to live more sustainably. Because it truly was not that long ago when we thought nature was indestructible. And after all, we see the powerful forces of nature every day from hurricanes to volcanic eruptions and the planet always seems to recover. But in our present age, we are faced with global warming oceans choked with plastic, melting ice caps, rising sea levels, and river basins drying up. Plants and animals are becoming extinct a thousand times faster compared to the last 500 million years. And at least according to one study out of the University of Denmark, unless we change what we are doing, within a century the damage to the planet will be so extensive it will take three to five million years to recover well i don't know about any of you but i think that is a whole lot longer than i'm willing to wait so in closing folks just remember that i usually have quite a list of uh, resources at in the, at the end of each episode in the transcript And if you want to do some further reading, then check out those resources because there is so much more information there than what I can even begin to present in any episode. So in parting for this week, I just want to give you one more thing to think about. Benjamin Franklin once said, Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. So that is your challenge for this coming week, is get involved, be sustainable, and get involved. This is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. Always remember to live sustainably because this is how we build a better future. Thank you.